Many of us this morning would like to believe the words of that song we just heard. That God could somehow take the hard things that we've gone through and turn them into something good. And that's what we're here to talk about this morning. Good morning, my name is Kim, and I have the privilege of being married to Ron. And yeah, I think that's worth applause. Recently, we were traveling on our way to a conference down in Southern California. And you know, some people have this perverse pride in California, and they say, we have the craziest drivers in the whole world. Well, we got to see them, didn't we? You know, it's like the joke about that guy that was driving on the freeway towards San Diego. And, and he was just creeping along on the freeway. So this police officer pulled him off and turned out to be a really elderly gentleman. And he said, sir, why are you driving so slow? That's not safe. You shouldn't do that. And the old gentleman says, well, the sign says five. And the officer says, well, that's not five miles per hour. This is the five freeway. And then the officer noticed there were some passengers in the back seat and their faces were just glued in terror. And he said to them, what's wrong? And one of them managed to say, we just got off the 101. (laughs) We've been here for 20 years and I think it's hard to get acclimated to California. In fact, I think it's kind of hard to get acclimated to life. It seems like Every baby that's born should just come with a little tag on their toe, you know? And one side of the tag could list all the joys and the pleasures they have to look forward to. And the other side could be a list of the things they need to get acclimated to, you know? Like there's pain and there's broken relationships and there's suffering and there's even death. And many of us want to know why. In fact, George Barna did a public opinion poll where he asked people, if you could ask God any one question and you knew that he'd give you an answer, what would you ask him? And the results came back to reveal that the number one issue that people have on their minds is why is there suffering in this world? You know, there was something interesting about the the results when he compiled them. It revealed that those who were married were much more likely to want to know why there was suffering in the world. I don't know why, that's just what the statistics show. But I know for many of you, this is not an academic question to bat around over dinner. You have suffered. Some of you have been through the pain of the death of a child. Some of you are going through illness. I know for me this week, I was struggling through an ongoing pain in my life I've wrestled with for years. And, you know, I started thinking about my pain and then about your pain and then the pain of the whole world. And, you know, I can start to just think, where is God? It can get pretty overwhelming. Like when I went to Uganda to share the hope of Christ with the beautiful people there, I was smacked in the face with the reality of pain and suffering in a fresh way. This picture here is a, is a picture of a brand new friend I made there. This is Florence and her daughter, Esther. Now, Florence is suffering with AIDS. And three years before I met her, her home had burned. And two of her children had died in that fire. And Esther was seriously burned. You can see the scars on her face. And, and that wasn't all. When that tragedy struck, Florence's husband left her. She had crisis upon crisis, and not only that, but her new baby girl was born with AIDS as well. 
And as I sat looking into the eyes of this gentle woman with holes in her dress and her daughter sitting in silence beside us, my head swam and my heart got a little more pulverized and I was left asking why. Why was Florence born here while I was born in relative affluence? Why does God allow innocent children to suffer? So many big questions just beg to be asked. And easy answers and religious hyperbole just doesn't cut it when we're looking into the face of suffering or into the face of someone who is. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians, we see things imperfectly. All that I know now is partial and incomplete because we're finite human beings. There's a limit to our understanding about some things like why there's pain and suffering. But it's equally important for us to realize that there are some things that we can know that God has made clear to us in the Bible. So right now I want to ask if you would please get out this outline. It looks like this and a pen. And we're going to look at some truths today that we can hold on to when pain rocks our world. Here's the first one. You ready? God is not the creator of evil and suffering. He didn't create it. I heard the question, couldn't God have created a world where there was no pain and suffering in the first place? I mean, every day God could write a script that would show what every person's supposed to say and do, and they'd just do it. Well, just for a moment, I want to ask you to think with me what that kind of a world would be like. Have, have any of you seen the movie called The Stepford Wives? You seen that? It's about a little community where this couple moves into, and the wife is a spunky character, and, and she notices something odd about this community. See, all the wives in this community are, are docile, and they love to clean and cook and make perfect lives for their men, never any disagreements. And this wife notices that new women come in, and, and they're changed, and this happened to her best friend. And she was horrified because she realized they were no longer real people. Now they were robots and real people had been done away with. And the last scene of the movie shows this wife that used to be feisty. Now she's blissfully cooking and cleaning and sewing. And she realizes that she was no longer a real person. Now guys, I have a question for you. Would any of you like to have wives that are, you know, roboticized. You know, they, their whole interest is to serve your every need, to make your home your own personal castle, to put ecstasy into your physical relationship and never argue. Would any of you like a wife like that? Now, guys, there is a right answer to this, okay? The right answer is no. That's what I'm looking for. Let's see, God could have made a Stepford world where human beings are robots, where there's never any pain or any conflict. But God is such a loving father that he wanted real persons because only between real people can love be real. So he limited his unlimited power and he gave you and me the ability to choose. He wanted us to choose to love him. And what this meant is that some people, if they wanted to, they could choose to disobey. And some parents, instead of loving their children, they they could choose to neglect or even abuse their children. 
Instead of helping them, the rich could steal from the poor. Instead of befriending each other, nation could war against nation. And the Bible teaches that the fall, the arrival of sin and disobedience, unleashed forces of pain and death and suffering of two kinds. The first is moral evil. And that means people hurting themselves and each other. That accounts for like 95% of the pain we see. And not only did Adam and Eve choose to disobey, but I made that choice and you made that choice and everybody has made that choice. It says in Isaiah, all of us have strayed away like sheep. See, we're all guilty of moral evil. And then there's natural evil. That's the other one. That's the hurricanes, the tsunamis, the meteorites striking earth. That's the earthquakes. I never used to worry about that one. But what happened? Where did all this get started? Well, see, when we human beings told God to shove off, he partially honored our request, and nature began to revolt. It says in Romans 8 that creation is confused. It says in Genesis 3, because of sin... The ground will produce thorns and weeds for you. That's natural evil. So let's be really clear on this. Instead of blaming God, you know, when somebody gets molested, or somebody gets beat up, or a war gets started, somebody's going to say, well, it must be God's will. Are you kidding? God's will is almost never done on this earth. Why? Because we have a will. And that's why we're commanded to pray, thy will be done. See, God didn't send death. Death is God's enemy. Death was not God's original plan for human beings, and it's not his final purpose for us. Now, to help us get to the next truth that we can hold on to, we're about to see a video of a gal from our Twin Cities family named Cindy. I'm so grateful for her because she's allowed me to see what a person can do and choose to do when she walks through the deepest suffering and pain. Cindy was in a tragic car accident on a Highway 20 in 1998, and she spent the next three months in the hospital recovering, and this accident caused a deep loss in her own family. So let's watch this together. My name is Cindy Boone, and I was involved in a car accident on Highway 20 um, in 1998. And that car accident occurred in a matter of seconds and changed my life forever. Several inches of marble-sized hail dropped on a half-mile stretch of Highway 20. And I came upon that and lost control of my car, hit a guardrail, blew up my tire, and was caught in the middle of Highway 20. And so I had undone my seatbelt to um, get out of the car. Get, I had a uh, four-and-a-half-month-old baby in the car, and I had undone him from his car seat so that we could get out of the car to safety when someone lost control of their car and um, hit me and my baby and I went through the window together and uh, suffered extensive injuries, both of us. His injuries were so significant, he didn't um, 
He was, he didn't live despite the resuscitation efforts. I um, broke my neck and I had severe um, facial injuries, what they call a blowout fracture, where all the bones on one side of my face were just pulverized. The fortunate thing is, in a sense, is that my grief process for the loss of my baby was delayed because of the head trauma. And so um, it wasn't for some time that I had it confirmed that I had lost the baby. I had this very strong sense, and I even asked my husband, was somebody hurt? Was there like a baby that was hurt in the accident? And he didn't, he was so afraid to tell me what had happened that it would impair the re progress I was making in my recovery. And so he said, no, no, nothing happened like that. But I had this overwhelming sense that something like that had happened. Once I was in the rehab center, away from the hospital, they were really saying, you know, you need to take her home. She hasn't been home in almost three months. You need to take her home. So they gave me a pass, and I um, was released from the rehab facility for a day just to go home. And um, that's when I, you know, had that, saw that picture of that baby. When I saw his picture, I knew who it was. I think other people had already had time to grieve his loss. And for me, I hadn't had that opportunity. It was weighing down my soul very heavily. And I do so strongly believe that God has placed people who were so important in my healing process. I was taken home in July, July 3rd, and I we had the wonderful opportunity um, several months later to go to Hawaii. We were able to have this tour guide who was just this ancient Hawaiian elder. And he was another gift from God and such an example of how God placed these people in my life at crucial times where they needed to be there. And um, he took us to a graveyard and very historic place on that island. But there were all these graves that were just enormously decorated. Somebody said, well, what's the deal with all these graves? Why are they so decorated? And he said, well, he said, all these graves that are so decorated with balloons and toys, those are the graves of children and babies. And he said, in Hawaiian culture, we believe that everybody is, each person is sent to earth for a specific reason by God. And once they've achieved that purpose in life, then God takes them back. And some people need to be here 80 years to achieve that purpose, but babies and children do it very quickly. And so they get to go back to the splendor of God. And for me, that was God absolutely talking to me through that wise man because he knew where I was in my struggle at the loss of that baby.
And when I look at it, oh, you know, I, um, that baby was sent to me for a very specific reason. And he achieved his purpose, which I'm really grateful that he did because he did. He, met, he did what he was sent to do. With the loss of Kenneth N, I really had a strong desire to have a third child. And not to replace Kenneth N, he was irreplaceable, but because I just always wanted three children and I really wanted a third child. And we were able to adopt a child who needed a home by closing the door, so to speak, with baby Kenneth and taking him back to heaven. It opened the door to let Lexi, our daughter Lexi, so she could have the love and support of the family that was now hers that um, she so needed. I am grateful for every day that I am on earth. I don't take anything for granted. And um, I know that every minute is precious because your whole life can change in a matter of seconds. And I really believe that God protected me and um, prevented what could have been far worse from happening. I'm grateful for Cindy. I thank you, Cindy, for your courage to share your story with us. Cindy's perspective on life is filled with faith, and God helped her to get back to that. But right now, many of you are feeling what I felt the first time I heard her story, and that was that you could hardly stand to listen to that. Your feelings are strong right now, and that's okay. I want to ask you to stay with me as we listen for what God wants to say to us, the perspective he wants to give us. You know, the reason that you feel strong emotions is because God made you in his image. And he feels that pain too. God weeps with us. He understands strong feelings. In fact, I think the strong feelings are exactly the stuff that we need to bring to God in an honest way. I know a man who recently came to a good friend of mine and shared his own pain-filled story. And he used colorful language when he told my friend. And, you know, he said, I'm looking for God in it. And yet in the same breath, he cussed. And then he apologized to my friend for cussing. And I just love what my friend said to him. Very gently, he said, you know, God would rather you cuss when you come to him than to sugarcoat things and wear a facade. And that's true. You know, it's in our honesty. It's in our uncensored expression of emotions that we can go deeper with God. And that's a gift that comes directly out of our pain. So Cindy has helped us to get to the next point of truth that we can hold on to. So right now, would you look at your outline and write down, although suffering is not good, God can use it to accomplish good. He can use it to accomplish good. 
Stephen Smith says in his book, The Jesus Life, that suffering has a way of pressing our clay, pinching off our false assumptions, and smashing beliefs that are simply not true. When the potter's wheel starts whirling and we sense suffering is just ahead, we can either scream to get off, which rarely happens in a good potter's studio, or allow the hands of suffering to do what only they can do, reshape our lives. You know, there are lots of ways God can reshape us through pain. And here's just a few. God uses pain to direct us. I remember when I was laid off from a job, I was shocked and I wasn't very happy. But God used that to uproot me from the rut I was in and start me on a forward path with him. God uses trials to inspect us. Like a tube of toothpaste, when the squeeze gets put on you, what's inside is going to come out. God uses pain to correct us. I don't want you to go that way. I want you to go this way. And God uses pain to protect us. The way he protected Joseph's whole family from starvation when he allowed Joseph to get sold into slavery by his own brothers. That story is not just a great read. It starts in Genesis 37, and I highly recommend it. That story is a principle that God can use the hardest things in your life and create from those things something good according to his big picture plan. But the question is, can you and I be humble enough to admit that God sees the big picture and we don't? I'm going to say that again so you can catch it. Can you and I be humble enough to recognize that God sees the big picture and we don't? You might be saying, I don't buy it. There's no way that God can make something good out of what I'm facing. Well, I can prove it to you. The reason I say that is that God took the worst thing that ever happened in the history of the world, the death of Christ on the cross, and created the very best thing from it. And you know what that is. The the opening of heaven for people like you and me if we'll just say yes to Christ. Look at this verse. Because of the joy awaiting him, having you with him forever and ever, he endured the cross. See, out of the very worst thing, God created the best thing. So how can we say that in our individual lives that God can't take whatever circumstance we're facing and make something good from them? I think he can, and the Bible says he will. Now, here's another truth that we need to remember when we're seeing suffering, and that's this. One day, God will deal with evil. He'll deal with it. I've heard people ask, why doesn't God put a final stop to evil? Well, let me just say, just because he hasn't doesn't mean he won't. You know, like we heard Ron share last week about hell. Hell is evidence that God has, in fact, put a boundary in time and a limit on the influence of what looks like rampant evil. And you say, okay, Kim, I'll accept that, but that's way out there. Why doesn't God stop it now? Well, let me say, that's a great question, but honestly, some of you are the reason he doesn't. That's, That's what the Bible says. Look at this. He is restraining himself on account of you, holding back the end because he doesn't want anyone lost. 
He's giving everyone space and time to change. See, in God's mercy and his patience, God isn't bringing everything to a screeching halt just yet because he wants to give some of you a little more time to cross that line of faith, to be forgiven, and to enjoy a right relationship with him. Now, another truth that I have to hold on to, and I hope you will too, is this. I can find purpose through my pain. I can find purpose. Now, I'm a visual learner, so I have a prop here this morning to help folks like me grasp a spiritual truth. Some of you came in and wondered what this is strung up in the auditorium this morning. Where I'm from, we call this a clothes dryer. But that's not what it's here for this morning. We put a bead on this rope that's strung all the way to the back of the auditorium. And this bead represents the totality of your life. From the moment of your birth to the moment of your death. All the joy and all the sorrow, all the righteousness and all the wickedness. It's all in that bead. If we had the oldest person in this room stand up that bead would still represent their life. If they lived 10 times longer than that, their life could still be summed up by that bead because the rope represents eternity. Now, how many of these beads do you think we could put side by side all the way to the back of the room? Your life lived over and over. That would just be the beginning of eternity. And what if we could somehow string this rope up to the farthest star? How many of these beads do you think it would take next to each other? Your life lived again and again to reach that star. That would just be the beginning of eternity. The point I'm trying to make is this. This is relatively small by comparison. Now, I can see that bead and I can feel that bead and I'm not denying the reality of that bead. The pain and the suffering in your life is as real as that bead. But what I'm trying to convey is this. That bead is launching you into a future that's not just eternal, but it's valuable. You might say, well, what do you mean? Well, you might want to write this down. See, God operates on a different value system than we do. See, his values are just different. God looks at my life and says, Kim, there would be something more awful than the pain in your life. Now, I might want to say, what could be more awful than this? But as I read the Bible... Apparently, God thinks it would be more awful for me to go through my whole life never knowing him, never having a peace of mind, never knowing a soul cleansed from guilt. So God values my wholeness. Write that down. My relationship to him. It says in 2 Corinthians, for God can use sorrow in our lives to help us turn away from sin and seek salvation. We will never regret that kind of sorrow. Now, how can anybody say that they wouldn't regret sorrow? Well, if it causes us to seek God and to find God, the joy of that, the experience of that would make whatever pain we went through worth it just to find him. Have you ever heard of Johnny Erickson Tata? She was in a diving accident when she was only 17 years old, and she has spent the last 45 years in a wheelchair. 
45 years stuck in a wheelchair. But she hasn't spent all those years stuck in bitterness because she has found Christ. And you're going to hear me quote her again and again because she has helped reframe suffering for me and for thousands of others. I'd like you to listen to this profound statement she made about her pain. She said, I'd rather be in this wheelchair knowing him than on my feet without him. It's a pretty, pretty profound statement. It says something to us about the hope, the hope infusing joy that she's found in relationship to Christ. You see, in our suffering, God goes right to work and says, you know, now would be a good time to come to me. Now would be a good time because I want to be there for you. I want to offer you hope and help and strength. That's part of God's purpose for you in your pain, to be whole by knowing God. But he has another valuable purpose for you, and your pain helps you discover it. This started to get crystallized for me in a conversation with a dear friend years ago. Some of you remember Lori Lehman. She went to heaven two years ago after a three-year battle with cancer. And I sat talking with her one day, and she said something to me about the infertility that she had gone through and that I was going through. She understood my yearning for a child, that prolonged, unfulfilled dream, my ongoing sadness. She got it. And she said some profound words to me that just kind of stuck in my head, and I can hear them still to this day. She shared that after her wait was over and she finally had her first child, that she said to herself and to God, I never want to forget. I've thought about that over and over. Never want to forget. What did Lori mean? Did she mean that she didn't want to stop the sorrow and the pity she had toward her own circumstance? Or that she didn't want to deny herself some masochistic feeling of suffering? I don't think so. As I look at the way that Lori lived the rest of her life, I think I can see what she meant. I think she was saying, I never want to forget what it's like to hurt. I want to look at others with compassion that comes from only from having been in the pain like Jesus suffered. I see in Lori's life a yearning to relate a little closer and a little closer to her Savior. You know, when life scars you up, you have something eternally precious in common with our Savior, and that is suffering. So whether it's Alzheimer's or bankruptcy or cancer or divorce or anything, any sorrow you face gives you an opportunity to draw a little closer to him, to the one who's called a man of sorrows. He's acquainted with grief. We just finished a series on that. The more a person relates to Jesus, the more that person becomes like Jesus. And that's what Lori did. She lightened the heaviness of my sorrow that day by showing up with her compassionate presence, with her understanding. She helped me know that somebody understood. She showed me what God values. Write this down. God values my compassionate presence for others. Listen to what Johnny says about this. People who are hurting aren't so much looking for answers as they are the warm and reviving touch of the Savior. 
Like Jesus, we are to give ourselves. We are to serve. We are to pour our heart into their lives, personal and life-giving. See, that's the different value system that God operates on, and Lori understood this. So even though the segment of time that is represented by Lori's bead is past, her purpose, the purpose that God put her in my life for, hasn't passed. Because she showed up for me that day. She's still encouraging me. She's still casting for me a vision that I can take even the painful parts of my life and allow them to transform me into the kind of person that would be there for others. It says in the Bible, he comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort others. When they are troubled, we will be able to give them the same comfort God has given us. See, God never wastes a hurt. If you have gone through a hurt, God wants you to say, I never want to forget God wants you to show up and help other people who are dealing with the same hurt you went through. In fact, the thing that you are most ashamed of, the thing that you wish had never happened, may become for you your greatest ministry in helping other people. Who can better help somebody going through a bankruptcy than someone who's gone through a bankruptcy? Who can better help someone who's losing their house than somebody who's lost their house? Who can better help someone who's struggling through an addiction than a person who has wrestled through an addiction, sexual or chemical or whatever? That's what Celebrate Recovery is all about. Who can better help the parents of a special needs child than someone who has raised a special needs child? Who is better able to put their arms around someone who has lost a child than someone who can say, I know. I know that pain. Will you allow the pain in your life to help you discover what God values? Move in close to him. Get to know him. And then be his compassionate presence for someone else who's hurting. Think of that person right now. You might even want to jot their name down because if you will reach out to them, it's going to help you to press on when you can't see clearly through your own pain. And there's one more thing that God values, and it gives you purpose when you're suffering. We're in a series about reality and how some things never change. Well, here's a picture of Lori again with her friends. They were at the Relay for Life, and she's standing with her sign that says, God is good. That was Lori's theme through her whole cancer journey. And, you know, in this picture, Lori knew she was facing the reality of her own death, But those words just shout to me. Those words, God is good. Say this, this never changes. God is good, no matter what I'm facing. And that is trust. That's something that God values. In fact, write that down. God values my trust. Your trust in God, especially when you're suffering, is a precious thing to God. Imagine that a friend gave you a sweater that she had knitted just for you. I mean, you'd be touched by that gift, wouldn't you? It'd be meaningful that she had thought of you. But imagine how your perspective would change if you learned that that friend suffers from severe arthritis. 
How much more would that gift mean? I mean, you'd be moved by her sacrifice. You'd think, how many hours must it have taken to knit that sweater? How she must have had to stop and rub those aching knuckles. How much more would that gift mean to you? You might even be moved to tears by that gift. And if that's true for you and me, how much more is it true of God? How much more is God moved when you and I offer to him our trust, even when we're hurting? When we say, Lord, I'm going to trust you in the midst of deprivation, in the middle of a disappointment, that moves the heart of God immeasurably. That's not something God forgets. That's something God values and rewards. It says in the Bible, for our present troubles are small and won't last very long, yet they produce for us a glory that vastly outweighs them and will last forever. That verse says that the greater your troubles are now, the greater your glory will be then, provided that you drew your strength from Christ. Johnny says this way, heaven will be more heavenly to the degree that you followed Christ on earth. And you know, the ultimate relief for you and me for our suffering is coming in that moment when Revelation says, he will wipe every tear from your eye. Who's it talking about? It's talking about God himself. This is not a job or a task that he's going to delegate to some executive assistant. He's not going to send some summer intern. No, that says that the God of the universe is going to personally reach down and tenderly wipe the tear from your eye. And then he's going to invite you to a reward whose extravagance is going to be determined by how faithful you were to him in those dark and desperate times. You cannot imagine how glorious it'll be. He will wipe every tear from your eye and there will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. All these things are gone forever. And the one sitting on the throne says, look, I'm making everything new. One day, instead of pain and suffering, this is the reality that we're going to open our eyes and see. Will you pray with me? Well, Father, you know the pain that each person sitting in this room is dealing with. You know what they've been through, and you know what is yet ahead. And Lord, you know how easy it is for us and when we're hurting that for us to get confused. I pray that you'd help us to hold on to these truths that never change about you. And now you pray. Pray this with me in your heart. Say, help me to remember, Father, what we sang that the God of angel armies is always by my side, no matter what I'm facing. Help me to remember, Lord, that you want to accomplish good for me in the face of this situation. And Lord, I just want to agree with you that I don't really know what's good. And so I'm asking you to help me trust you to define that for me. Help me to trust you to see the big picture, Lord. And I want to ask you to help me to move in closer. Help me to remember, Jesus, what you did for me, how you suffered for me. I would not be whole, Lord, without you. I would not be headed for heaven without the pain that you went through on my behalf. And I thank you. 
Help me to see those in my world, Lord, who are hurting. And help me to show up for them with your compassion because of what I've learned through my own suffering. And if you've never asked Jesus into your life, say, Jesus Christ, come into my life right now. I want to follow you. I want to trust you. I want to learn to love you from this moment moment forward for the rest of my eternity. And it's in the strong name of Jesus Christ that we pray. Amen.